0: you stopped listening didn't you
1: no of course not no but um i mean yeah he does he does all those things you said he did it's me austin the don't lie and they spell disaster for you and sacrifice son of a bitch i did it but I'm not
0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Turnbuckle Training. Introducing first your longtime fan, short time podcaster, and former fantasy wrestling hardcore champion, Peyton
1: Peytonson Green, and his tag team partner, making his debut in the wacky world of fighting pools, Zach the Young Man Barlow. <laughs>
0: This is a podcast for longtime wrestling fans and rookies alike. We're going to take you through some of the biggest shows, matches, and rivalries in wrestling history, or at least the ones that I can talk about for however long I
1: need to. And if you're just a doofus, an idiot, a buffoon who knows absolutely jack shit about wrestling, no need to worry, my friend. I am a doofusier, idioter, buffoonier man who knows even less. Wow. So, Peyton, what are we going to be talking about today?
0: So today we're going to pick up where we left off on uh, our last episode. G1 Supercard, the Ring of Honor New Japan show here. Uh, It's a very long show, so we decided to split it up into two halves. So this may be a little bit of a shorter one today, because we only got four matches to talk about. Uh, they are pretty lengthy, but uh, but there's, there's some pretty good stuff here, I think.
1: Yeah, I do have to be honest, I think I like the first half of the show better. Really? Uh, yeah.
0: See, and that's, I, I understand that because, uh, you know, I'm more of a wrestling purist. You're more of
1: a nonsense kind of goofy man. Well, that and just, I felt that the wrestling in the first half of the show was a lot faster. Things slow down here as we move forward.
0: Yeah, things slow down, but I, again, I I don't know. Sometimes I like a slower match. I can, I can get behind a slower match if it you know has good storytelling. I get sleepy. Now, I, <laughs> huh? So I get sleepy. Yeah, I I you know I decided to look up you know what other people thought about this show, um, just out of curiosity. Uh, and, of course, we'll kind of, you know, analyze it as we go through it. But um, the consensus was kind of a little bit mixed on this show. Um, and it seems that the consensus was that all the ja- uh, the New Japan matches were better than the Ring of Honor matches.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Um, the Ring of Honor matches were all the silly, goofy ones. Or, you know, of course, the Dalton Castle match, which was 15 seconds. Um, but it, it, we'll... we'll we'll get into all that uh pretty shortly. Uh, I was also, you know, I thought it was kind of interesting. A lot of people then I had to look back at what I, you know, how I kind of rated the uh the women's match, but a lot of people didn't like that one.
1: Really? Um, I I enjoyed that one.
0: Yeah, uh but apparently a lot of people uh, a big problem with it was what happened after the match.
1: Oh yeah. With, no, and we we definitely uh, did uh hate that.
0: But people didn't really like the match itself either for some reason. But uh, anyway, you know, this is about me. This is about what I think. So screw all those 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 random internet boys because
1: I got know, a podcast. I'm so just going to throw this out important. there. I'm just throw this throw this nug out for you guys. It doesn't matter what people on the internet say. Now I know what you're saying, Zach. You're recording a podcast. Don't say that. We're all going to stop listening to it right now. But sometimes you can just enjoy or not enjoy things, and it doesn't matter what anyone else says about it. Mm Mm-hmm.
0: Now, to be fair, I did say, you know, you did say, you know, maybe this would be a little bit short because there's not as much to talk about. And there is one pretty big thing that happens right out of the gate as soon as we get into it. Um, that I do want to talk about. I didn't really know what was going on at first, and I had to look up to figure out what happened. Uh... So we're going to get into it, though, if you haven't, if you haven't, go ahead and listen to our last episode to kind of catch you up on where we are as far as, uh,
1: you know, where this show goes.
0: Because it is it is a pretty good one, um, I think.
1: Yeah, uh, I, I absolutely agree. You should, you should so go listen to last really week getting, if you haven't, because this isn't going to make any goddamn sense.
0: We are really getting a good taste of uh, what independent wrestling is like from the two biggest independent wrestling companies in the world, Ring of Honor and New Japan. Um, so... After that, uh, that really crazy tag team match wraps up. Uh, we're at ringside with the commentary team. They start talking about Zack Saber Jr. Um, and then they just kind of start stalling. They start talking about Colt Cabana. They start talking about Brian Daniel or <laughs> Daniel Bryan, and then he corrects himself and says Brian Danielson uh, because he was known as Daniel Bryan when he was in Ring of Honor before he came to WWE.
1: Wait, I thought, um, I thought he was still Daniel Bryan in WWE.
0: He's Daniel Bryan in WWE. He was Bryan Danielson in Ring of Honor. Wow! Oh. So he says Daniel Bryan, and then he corrects
1: himself and says,
0: I mean Bryan Danielson, to call him by his ROH name.
1: Vince makes the weirdest naming choices.
0: Yeah, it's weird, because it's not like... Because that's his real fucking name, <laughs> Bryan Danielson. So it's not like... He changed all those Ring of Honor guys' names, and I don't really know why. It's like when uh, God
1: renamed Abraham... <laughs>
0: Yeah, I mean he kept AJ Styles, uh, I guess because he was so damn popular with that name. But yeah, no, he changed Tyler Black to Seth Rollins. At least Brian Danielson was funny because he just kind of like flipped it around. Yeah, yeah. Although Brian Danielson sounds way more like a real person's name than Daniel Bryan does.
1: Absolutely. Who that has sounds two like first a- names?
0: That sounds like a guy who was who was like trying to come up with a fake name on the spot. <laughs> um, but so anyway, we're showing the commentary team for a while. I don't know if you could tell that there is something going on behind them.
1: I couldn't. This was actually lost on me. I did notice that they were talking for a hot fucking. So there minute, is though. like
0: some there are some wrestlers fighting behind them, and they're like not saying anything about it, and. It comes to uh, you know. Let's do let's do another word of the day. Uh, this is like kind of two. This is going to be a multi part word of the day. So our real word of the day is work to shoot. But in order to explain to you to what a work shoot is, we have to explain to you what a work and what a shoot is. So a work is when something in wrestling is part of the storyline. So if you say, oh, you know, when,
1: uh, when, when you know uh, the montreal screw job happened maybe it was a work
0: yeah well okay a work would be something like oh you know kane came out of the crowd and attacked the undertaker that's a work you know it was supposed to be part of the storyline a shoot is when you know somebody is like really pissed off at another wrestler and they start punching him for real that's a shoot the montreal screw job is most likely a shoot a work shoot is when they purposely make something look like it's real and not supposed to happen and not part of the scripted storyline, but it actually is. So it's basically like for a moment they're like,
1: whoa, this is real
0: in order to make it seem more interesting.
1: So you could say that the precedent set by the Montreal Screwjob led to a lot of work shoots. Yeah, yeah.
0: Um a good example of a work shoot is when Matt Hardy came back and started attacking Edge and he started calling him by his real name. He started calling Lita by his real na- her real name. It looked like it was r- real, but it was part of the storyline. Uh now, here's another work shoot um that is going on behind That's why so basically what happened is Enzo, Moray and Big Cass, who were two who were a tag team in the WWE, were fired by the WWE. Um and actually, incidentally, at WrestleMania a couple years ago, like did Enzo did something kind of similar to this where he like stood up in the crowd and started making a big ruckus. Here, these two guys from WWE came out of the crowd and started fighting with the guys in the tag team match, the the G.O.D. And then they sent the Briscoe brothers out there, they sent Bully Ray out there to like, beat them up and throw them out. All that is going on behind the ring announcers, and they're purposely not saying anything, and they're purposely stalling... So that we don't show what's happening, so that we make it feel like we're not supposed to see it because it's something that's really happening. It's very weird because it's like, well, if I can't see it and you're not talking about it, then how am I supposed to get interested then in it? Did it ever
1: really happen?
0: But they started like they like started retweeting stuff about it. So I guess that that is so,
1: kind of fun. I do like that. Like. Um, and I bet that, you know, on their TV show, they probably made a big deal about it, too, there.
0: Yeah, and so now they're officially signed with Ring of Honor, but that's what was going on there, which I thought was kind of interesting, but also, again, goes back to show how, like, the Ring of Honor stuff on this show is all about, like, crazy storylines. Ring of Honor's only one becoming a little bit more WWE. Uh,
1: yeah, man, that is wild. Speaking of wild things going on in the ring, this is completely off topic, but I feel like we've got some time to fill today. Did you hear about um, Bret Hart's induction into the WWE
0: Hall of Fame? I did. I did. I actually heard about it when I was reading about this show, um, because somebody mentioned it was like, so Enzo and Cass come out and attack the wrestlers, and then a fan attacks Bret Hart during the Hall of Fame.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, that yeah. fan got the shit beat out of him, too.
0: Yeah. Well, that's why you don't do that. You don't try to fight real fighters.
1: <laughs> no, uh, that's my that guy was definitely... is that wrestling is fake until a fan jumps in the ring, and then for that one individual, it becomes very real.
0: My all-time favorite, one of my all-time favorite, um... Fan coming in the ring moments was in WCW. It was Dean Malenko, and I'm not sure who else was wrestling. But a fan came into the ring, and of all people, it was the ref who took him down by punting him in the face. <laughs> so yeah, don't fuck with uh, these guys. Yeah, but whoever attacked Bret Hart was definitely a Shawn Michaels fan.
1: Oh, had to be.
0: <laughs> um. Also, speaking of things going on behind the scenes, let's talk—I found this out when I was kind of looking into this show a little bit. There are a lot of interesting things in the show, and I probably should have done this on the very first episode, but, you know, since we're probably trying to fill a little bit more time, here we go. So, some interesting things about this show. First of all, um, this is the first wrestling event to be held in the Madison Square Garden that was not produced by a member of the McMahon family. Since the 1960s.
1: Damn!
0: Um, because this is like WWE's like home turf, Madison Square Garden. Um, and so the WWE tried to prevent them from having the event. They tried to like threaten Madison Square Garden of being like, okay, we're not going to hold any more shows here if you...
1: That sounds if, if exactly you, like some shit Vince would do.
0: And eventually they got it all worked out and they're having the show. Because, I mean, if you really think about it, Is Vince
1: really going to pull out
0: of Madison Square Garden?
1: No. I don't know. Of course not. Like, man, that's so fucking shitty. Like, no one else can even have the same venues as us. What the hell?
0: Yeah. Well, it's like, does he see Ring of Honor and New Japan as threats? Because I feel like he shouldn't. I mean, nothing is going to be a threat to Vince McMahon at this point. Vince
1: McMahon is like someone who, like, heard a prophecy about how a new wrestling company will one day overtake him, and so he tries to defeat them all, but somehow, through his trying to do that, his hubris will create the prophecy and make it come true. You know what I'm talking about.
0: Yeah, so like like Dr. Eggman in Chaos. Yeah, like Dr. Eggman in Chaos! <laughs> so, yeah, so just a little bit of nugget of trivia for you there. Um... So that's kind of interesting. This is also, uh, I also did not realize this, so this is kind of considered to be part of Ring of Honor's yearly Supercard of Honor show. It's almost kind of like their WrestleMania. I didn't realize this, because I remember I watched a few Supercard of Honors when I was, I was going to say a kid. Well, yeah, I guess I was a kid. I mean, I'm kind of still a kid now. But um, I didn't realize they always hold them on WrestleMania weekend, usually the day before, and usually in the same city.
1: That is smart. This is the yeah. exact opposite of TNA moving their show to the night of uh, Monday Night Raw. This is, v- that's very smart because you're already going to have a bunch of wrestling fans there if you're the night before. Like, that is, that's good on them.
0: Yeah. It's, it's like, hey, you guys want l- some more wrestling while you're already here? We're nearby. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that's, it, it is actually super smart. Um, but yeah, there's just a few interesting things I found out about this Ring of Honor show. I'm still learning. This is the first time I've ever really been exp- exposed to New Japan Pro Wrestling, and I I enjoy it. Yeah, I no, enjoy you're the really, Japanese great. style of wrestling. Um, uh, other than I have watched a little bit of Shikara, which I don't know if you guys want to check that out. Shikara is pretty fun. Have you ever heard of Shikara? I have not. It's basically, like, a wrestling company that's, like, does not take itself seriously at all. In fact, most of the matches are, like, and storylines are comedy-based. It's, like, a comedy wrestling show.
1: Okay, I love that.
0: Like, they have, like, this group of guys who are, like, they're, like, called, like, Fire Ant, Snow Ant, and, like, all these different guys. They have one... I can't remember what his name is, but his gimmick is that like he's a video game character and he has a play and pause button on his tights. <laughs> and so if a wrestler hits the pause button, he'll freeze.
1: That's amazing.
0: Uh, so yeah. They also have like, you know, like people come out and wrestle in dinosaur costumes and shit like that. That is that's the best. That's the content we need. They also have C P Monk, which is kind of like CM Punk, but a chipmunk.
1: <laughs> Man, Alvin, um, Alvin took a weird career path, huh?
0: Uh huh. Okay, so we're 20 minutes in. I think it's time we actually start talking about the wrestling matches. That's fair. Uh, so our first match is uh, the British Heavyweight Championship: Hiroshi Tanahashi versus Zack Saber Jr., who comes out with Takemichi Nuku a uh, a former. WWE wrestler who is most famous for falling on his face and having it uh having the replay shown over and over and over again at the Royal Rumble 2000. We've never watched that on on this epi- on this show, but you and I have watched that
1: ourselves. Oh.
0: He got thrown over the top rope in the Royal Rumble and and landed face first.
1: So, yeah, that's uh that's what a way to be known. <laughs> the guy that fell on his yeah, face. Yeah, I mean, that he's probably done for a little
0: bit more than that. He has a move named after him, so I mean, eh. You know, but I remember him as the guy who kept smacking his face on the floor.
1: Okay, I have a question for okay. you. The, our uh, Ring of Honor also has a British Heavyweight Championship. Okay, so I, I don't think so, this is
0: Ring of Honor's championship, but let me let me find find that out for you.
1: I mean, that's what they're wrestling for. Well, you.
0: Well, I don't know that it's actually Ring of Honor's title.
1: Okay. But, well, my question lies somewhere else, and that is that they say this guy is really great at that British style of wrestling. Okay,
0: it's the RPW British Heavyweight Championship, and I don't know what the hell RPW is.
1: Revolution Pro Wrestling. Um, so my question is twofold. One, is there really a British style of wrestling? Two, how big is wrestling over in the UK? Because uh, I've never heard of um, them really having any big promotions.
0: Is there a style of of British wrestling? Yes. It's really punchy. Like, as in lots of punches. It's really, like, Ah. kind of a strong style. Um, There are, I mean, I can't really, like, name you a bunch of wrestling promotions. But there has been, like, a big, like... Focus on wrestling in the UK, um, especially because there are a lot of guy, a lot of people who were really successful coming over from there. Um, okay, but uh, in fact, the, uh, the the WWE has like a UK championship too. I, I think it's just called the UK championship. Uh,
1: gotcha. Because yeah, I always you know you always hear about. Um, I feel like the three biggest wrestling uh countries for wrestling are Japan, America, and Mexico. Um so I was I was interested to know if they and had anything going true. on there. That's uh, good. But to yeah know no they British
0: do. wrestling is kind of just more like a hard hitting, like more slower pace, like submission style wrestling. Kinda like kinda like Canadian wrestling. Kind of like your your Bret Hart's and people like that. But yeah, no, no, no there there is such gotcha. a thing as, as British Wrestling. I mean, hey, they got at least two championships for it. <laughs> uh, the announcers are calling Hiroshi Tanahashi the ace of NJPW. He's a, uh, uh, but they are questioning his health. Um, Saber Zach Saber Jr. is a submission master. Uh, he comes out with Takamichi Noku, um, who apparently uh, turned on uh, on Hiroshi Tanahashi. And Hiroshi Tanahashi, I believe, has more uh, more IWGP championship runs than anyone else in history. So, uh, yeah, I guess that would make him the ace of NJPW, huh? Wow, that is yeah, very impressive. It, I think it's like... I think he has like eight title wins. I don't know. Uh, this is really the part of, uh, of wrestling where I'm an idiot, too. Um, th- this is... Everything I'm saying, I've gotten from uh, Wikipedia-ing things at 3 a.m. last night. So, <laughs>
1: um,
0: Takuma Jinoku gets on the mic, and, you know, back in WWE, he and Funaki were considered, like, they had, like, this gimmick where they were, like, their own announcers um, and, like, their own interviewers and stuff. Like, they'd interview each other. So he kind of does that here. He's kind of like, "Are you excited for this match?" And then he like announces him, announces Zack Saber as he's going to be the winner. Gets the crowd pretty hyped up. Um,
1: I really enjoyed the line, "Welcome to Zack Saber time."
0: <laughs> uh, the commentators say these t- two guys are tied at two wins apiece, which I feel like they have said several times about several matches in this show. Like huh. I feel like several times they've been like these guys have are tied. They're always they're always fucking tied. Which I guess if you're gonna have this big show, then yeah, sure, like why not have them be like, you know, kind of like a the yeah, you want match. Some,
1: some interesting um, matchups.
0: Sabre starts off with pie facing Tanahashi. Uh we get lots of back and forth and then Saber pie faces him again. Uh, Tanahashi attempts some sort of backsplash, but Saber catches him and applies him in a cross-arm breaker, uh, which I thought was a pretty cool way to catch him in a submission move. He's basically, he keeps going for this arm submission, really focusing on the arm, he's just kind of stomping at it, and he keeps trying to put that arm breaker in.
1: Yeah, and there's a guy, so there's the commentary team talks about how last time he went for his leg, right? And that's how he, how he won. And, uh, one of the guys on the commentary, when they're like, I wonder why he's not going for the leg. He's like, the leg's already hurt. Why go for the leg? It's already hurt. Injure another body part. Which I think is hilarious. Like the concept that there's an upper limit on how much damage your leg can take. And at a certain point, it's just it's, not working It's kind of
0: it like anymore. a WWE game where you have to get like this. You know, his his leg is already in the red. You got to get his arm up <laughs> <in>. <laughs>
1: Exactly.
0: Exactly. Um. He he does. He uses that arm breaker in some really cool ways. Like at one point, he throws him over the top rope, but Tanahashi hangs on to the top rope. So he just puts the arm breaker on it while he's hanging on the ropes. Um. He eventually lets go, and Tanahashi goes to the second rope, uh, hits a somersault senton, but only gets two. Uh, Tanahashi tries a uh, submission move of his own. tries to put him in a clover leaf, but he grabs the ropes. Saber puts Tanahashi in something called the Cobra Twist, which I won't even begin to describe. uh, But the commentary team calls it a traditional Japanese submission move. Uh, And Tanahashi, I, I should say, Saber puts Tanahashi in the Cobra the Cobra Twist, and then Tanahashi reverses that into one of his own. And then the the two just start trading that move back and forth. They each keep putting each other in it.
1: Yeah, and that's kind of where my problem in this match comes in, is that I like Matt-style submission wrestling when it's done really fast, or when it's done with particular enthusiasm. But this match was just like... I don't know. I was having a hard time following it because I don't really know a lot of submission moves and it was mostly like everyone's holding the other person's arm kind of funny. Yeah,
0: um my problem with this is I I like this match a lot actually. Uh I, I do think that it got a little repetitive sometimes of going for the same move over and over. Um especially when I you know I'm not as familiar with the move sets here. Um
1: it's like in Smash Bros. when someone <laughs> keeps doing, like, Charizard side beat, and you're like, come on, man. Get some new material. I like
0: twice we've related back to video games. Um, Tanahashi hits a bulldog and goes to the top rope, but Saber hits a big kick, places him in an arm lock on the top rope. I do like the idea of, like, oh, man, he can put this in anywhere, you know? It's kind of like one of those moves he, he can get no matter where you are. So, I mean, you know, how often do you see a submission yeah. on the top rope? kinda of in innovative. And that was like
1: in, in that was the one thing that really did stand out to me is that spot where he puts him in the submission hold mm-hmm. on the top rope. Um, because that is particularly impressive. You're absolutely correct. Zach here. Saber
0: attempts a kick but Tanahashi catches the leg. Saber reverses that into some sort of crazy bridging pin attempt, but Tanahashi kicks out at two and a half. Saber attempts uh, his uh, his buddy's move. He goes for the Michinoku driver, but Tanahashi drops down and rolls him up with a bridge, but only gets two. Tanahashi attempts a dragon suplex, but Saber reverses it into another bridge for a two count. Tanahashi hits three consecutive, and here's what I wrote, twisting something or others, because I was not sure what they were. And then hits this... Corkscrew bulldog, but Saber still kicks out. Tanahashi tips that dragon suplex once again, but Saber reverses it in some sort of wild arm lock. I thought that that looked pretty damn painful, though. The way he was like really torquing the arm there.
1: Yeah, it. it I mean, it's it did look like it probably hurt. But I don't know enough about arms to know. I mean, if you pull someone's arm
0: in the wrong direction hard enough, I feel like pain
1: happens. Fair point. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. Um,
0: Tanahashi ends up tapping out just after the announcer says we hit the 15-minute mark. Again, I absolutely love this match. I thought it was great storytelling, uh, you know, him trying to go for the armbar again and again. I see why you don't like it, but God damn it, I'm gonna make you like these pure wrestling matches one day. Oh, one day you're gonna slow. be wearing a top hat and a monocle, and you're gonna be like, hmm, yes, the finer things. Oh, you like Batista? Hmm, you must be a child.
1: Oh, I... If I even see so much as a chair, I will vomit in my exactly. mouth. Exactly. Oh,
0: you like a 619? Disgusting. I uh, I gave it a, a four and a quarter stars, honestly. Thought it was really good.
1: I, uh... I, um... I, I don't know, man. I... Uh... I can't agree on that one, because I was bored.
0: <laughs> huh. Okay. See, I, here's the thing. I rank all these matches, I ranked them all pretty high, man. These next few. Uh, I had a feeling, um, I had a feeling we are going to disagree. I like the next
1: two, and then the last one I don't super care for. I said I, I really like the next two, and then the last one I don't super care for.
0: <laughs> okay. Let's see what happens when we get there. Uh... So our next match is the IWGP Intercontinental Championship, Kota Ibushi versus Tetsuya Naito. This is our first like true like all Japanese match up here. Um, the pre match promo is all in Japanese, but the gist here is that these two have a lot of respect and are excited to wrestle each other. Like, god damn it, like can't we have these pure moments? It's just two guys who just wanna wrestle.
1: Uh, I really do like, too, in the pre-match promo, there's a really metal line where I think it's Ibushi says, the, mo- the more brutal it gets, the more fun it becomes. And I'm like, damn, that is the most metal shit that anyone's ever said, and he doesn't even realize That's,
0: it. it. It's pretty good. I like that, too. Um... So, uh, the announcers talk about how this belt brings out exciting matchups. We even see Chris Jericho winning the title um, pretty pretty recently. Uh, Naito actually beat Jericho for the title now. So, uh, we come back to the ring. The crowd is already chanting, holy shit, and nothing has happened yet.
1: Yeah, that's. I thought that was pretty crazy. That's how
0: excited people are for Japanese wrestling. Um start off a lot of back and forth from the beginning, huge pops from the crowd uh, I, you know you don't really see crowds this hot for WWE matches anymore so it's refreshing
1: Yeah, no I mean, when you get if you're at a Ring of Honor show, you're already a wrestling enthusiast and boy are these people enthused
0: <laughs> Naito dropkicks Ibushi to the outside Naito whips Ibushi into the guardrail uh, a member of the ring crew almost uh, gets ta- gets or gets hit, and Naito even gets in his face. Uh, the announcers do mention that in JPW, the title can change hands via d- count out, uh, You know, just in case somebody gets counted out here. Of course, that won't happen though. Abushi um, gets tossed into the front row and back of the ring. Naito it kind of does something funny where he just kind of like poses in the mat, just lays down, and is counting along with the referee.
1: Yeah, no, that's very good. I like, um, so I thought it was interesting that they do a 20 count, but they count way faster.
0: Yeah, that is weird, because at that point, doesn't it kind of just become a 10 count?
1: I right, I they're right. trying to make think, it more I mean,
0: realistic, because, like, in the WWE, they count really fucking slow, you know?
1: Right, that's what I was thinking, is that, like, this twenty count is probably faster than most ten yeah. counts,
0: so it seems a l- at least a little more realistic, and I guess it kind of keeps up the pace. It like prevents you know people from just laying down on the outside, you know. Right. Um, back in the ring, Naito lays down on the mat. Or I right, already said that. <laughs> Naito gets a slingshot dropkick in the corner, followed by a neckbreaker. Gets a two count. The announcers say that Naito has apparently been treating the Intercontinental belt with disgust because what he really wants is the world title. So, this whole thing is about bringing some respect back to the Intercontinental title. Which I like because, you know, uh, we get the Intercontinental and the WWE treated with a lot of disrespect and WWE doesn't really seem to care. Um... So it is nice that they're really treating this title as being something important and big, you know, especially with that pre-match, you know, montage thing.
1: Yeah. So what does it mean exactly to treat to treat the intercontinental? Uh, in, what exactly does it mean to treat the intercontinental ch- title with uh, disrespect? I, well, I, basically, he's
0: saying for? he's saying like, I, you know, I don't really care about this belt. You know, he kind of, I, I,
1: I, what I really want is the world title. Basically. Yeah, no, but I'm saying, like, you were talking about the WWE hasn't treated it right. What, what is it, How does that really work? Kind
0: of the same way, where it's, like, treated as, like, the secondary title. You know, there would be times where, you know, we'd go months without it ever changing hands, without, like, title defenses happening. I mean, uh, okay. Stone Cold at one point uh, threw the, the title in, in a river because he wanted the world title.
1: Gotcha. I see, and I was, that's the kind of shit I was looking for. I was really fishing for something hornswoggle related, but that works as well. I'm satisfied. Okay. I'm glad. I'm
0: glad. Um, the crowd is going crazy chanting for each of the competitors. Kind of a theme here where the crowd really loves both guys and kind of chants their names back and forth. Um... Naito drops Ibushi face first on the top turnbuckle, follows up with a, with a nice one legged drop kick that sends Ibushi right on the back of his head. He's really targeting that neck of Ibushi. Uh, he tries for a top rope Hurricane Rana, but Ibushi drops down and lands a kick that sends Naito over the top rope into the apron. And then out of nowhere, Ibushi hits a Hurricane Rana on the apron that takes Naito straight to the floor.
1: Yeah, that was a couple of very sick moments in this match. I really like the kick he does that knocks him off the top rope because he just backflips and kicks yeah. his literal ass. Yeah,
0: I said he kicks him and, and I'm not really doing it justice. It's like kind of more like a Pele kick.
1: Um but yeah, no, that Hurricane Rana was Sick.
0: Yeah, these are the kind of matches you have to, like, pause and then, like, you know, like, re-watch and, like, kind of figure out exactly all what happened because it does get a little crazy at times.
1: I like after that he lands that Hurricane Rana, he's sitting there staring up at the ceiling, and one of the announcers says he's sitting there looking at the world's most famous ceiling, and I'm like... I don't know, man. I think the Sistine Chapel might have you beat on I that one. I said
0: that exact same thing. <laughs> I said it out loud, even though there was no one else here. <laughs> I'm glad I'm glad you also thought that.
1: Uh, we got a lot of thoughts about ceilings. <laughs> <laughs> That's,
0: you know... I don't know how... Maybe that ceiling's really impressive. I don't know, but... <laughs> um... Back of the ring, Ibushi hits a springboard double stomp for a two-count. Whenever I see someone do a double stomp, I'm always like, how do you do that without so much pain? To see someone just jump off the top rope and stomp someone in the chest.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that is pretty rough. Uh,
0: Naito kind of put, places Ibushi's legs on the on the ropes and hits a huge tornado DDT. Actually, no, no, no. I, I, I miss... Explain that. He hits a Tornado DDT, but he, like, uses his legs to kind of springboard himself, which is which is pretty cool, and pins him for a long two-count. There are some long fucking two-counts here.
1: Yeah, I think we might have yeah, talked really about that are.
0: last time, but, like, there are times where I really think they're about
1: to lose. Me too, me too. There are times where I think, like, did they fuck up? But I take it on faith that they did not. Mm-hmm.
0: Seems like it might be some sort of Japanese thing to to really, like, hold on to those two counts for as long as they can. Um, now I know it's a Hurricanrana from the top rope, follows up with some sort of modified sidewalk slam that straight up drops a Bushi right on his head. That's another thing, they like to drop people on their heads in Japan.
1: Yeah, Jesus, those head drops look very rough.
0: Yeah, I you know, again, I don't know how they do some of this stuff without killing themselves. Um, Ibushi hits a bridging German suplex for another long two count. Um, they eventually keep reversing pinning attempts. Uh, looking a little sloppy there, but you know not too much to really affect my thoughts on this match. They're both now on their knees in the middle of the ring, just exhausted, trading forearm shots. Really stiff ones, too. Eventually they get to their feet, and Naito gets the upper hand. After spitting on Ibushi, um, Ibushi is pissed. He starts hitting him with palm strikes, and then Naito hits a reverse hurricane run up. So he goes from the from behind him, drops him on his head again, falls up with some sort of crazy tilt the whirl slam, pins Ibushi, but he kicks out. Naito tries for the same move again, but Ibushi fights out and nails Naito with a super kick. The crowd is chanting, "This is awesome." Abushi hits a running or a couple of ru- running strikes, covers, but Naito still kicks out. Abushi hits a big power bomb, and yet again Naito kicks out. Finally, Abushi follows that up with a huge knee strike, and finally gets that pin. I thought this was an absolutely great match. Uh, yeah, I
1: really like this one. This one was awesome.
0: Really shows us what Japanese wrestling is all about. Lots of action here. Things got really stiff. Um so I give it a a 4.75 out of 5 stars. Really good, really good shit.
1: Yeah, no, I really like that match. It was very good.
0: Um during Cruz checking on both guys, they both look really out of it, really selling how exhausting this match was. Uh Abushi comes to, gets the title and and starts to celebrate. Um so now we're on to our double main event. I do think it's interesting that New Japan closes out the show. Uh, Ring of Honor gets—I I guess it, it truly is a, a double pay-per-view, but it does—it—it it, it is kind of a little bit more Ring of Honor than New Japan. But
1: yeah, and I think—I mean—that's probably something that's done to sort of sate New Japan as a, one. They're they're sort of our guest in this scenario. Um, mm-hmm. And then, you know, you want the you want them to want to work with you again. But they call it a double main event, but, like, let's be honest, there can only be one. Yeah, that's true.
0: Yeah, like, sometimes they'll be like, it's a triple main event. Like, why not just say the whole show is a main event?
1: They <laughs> got back-to-back main events. They're <laughs> flying off the shelves, all these main <laughs> events.
0: So we get to our, our Ring of Honor main event. It's a ladder match for the ROH World Heavyweight Championship. We've got Marty Skrull versus Matt Taven versus Jay Lethal. Let's talk a little bit about these guys because I actually can talk about these guys. Cool. So we've got Marty Skrull. He's the villain,
1: which makes it sound like he should be a heel, but he is
0: 100% not because everybody fucking loves him.
1: I gotta say, I see why. I see why that gimmick gets over with people. It's a really good gimmick. Um, I love the Plague Doctor mask thing that he wears that looks sick. Here's what I think. Here's who
0: Marty Skrull reminds me of. Like, if they went for, like, a... If they tried to make make another Batman reboot, and he would be the Penguin.
1: (laughs) Yeah, no, if they tried to make the Penguin cool, absolutely. I agree. I was thinking the same thing when you had that damn umbrella.
0: Yeah, like uh, too bad Gotham's ending because you need to get this guy instead of that instead of that weird that weird pale dude. <laughs> um. So yeah, Marty Skrull is the villain. He runs Villain Enterprises, uh, a team of rogues and vagabonds, if you will.
1: A <laughs> couple of ne'er do wells. You know, We're Villains, LLC. Let us take care of your villainous needs. <laughs> we also
0: got Matt Taven. Matt Taven is um, a guy with a sick mohawk. Um, and he also runs his own stable called The Kingdom, of which he is the king. Um, they feud with villain enterprises a lot. Matt Taven is like basically like the one true heel here. Because the crowd actually hates him, the crowd yeah. is actually booing him. Um, he also calls himself the true Ring of Honor World Champion um, for no good goddamn reason. He just feels like, hey, I, I'm good, I'm good, I'm a good boy. <laughs> so he made his own Ring of Honor World Championship that's purple, uh, which I was surprised he didn't bring it out tonight. Although he does bring out something purple. We'll oh, soon. yes.
1: yeah. But, you know, it's like when, I don't know if you ever had this friend uh, as a kid, there's always that one guy that, like, would refuse to admit that he lost at a video game. Mm, he would yeah. always be like, no, I'm the best. And if you beat him, he'd be like, no, that was cheap. You didn't really beat me. Um, and, yeah, that's what Matt Taven sort of reminds me of here, declaring himself the true champion, is uh, just, you know, just making make up your own rules.
0: And then finally we have the uh, defending champion Jay Lethal. Jay Lethal is the closest probably to a you know a quintessential ring of honor like company man that there is. You know, he's he's their top star and has been for a while. He's, he is their
1: John Cena. Yeah, he kind
0: of he really is their John Cena. So Jay Lethal at this point has held the title for 280
1: days. Um... And that's how you know he's gonna lose. Yeah.
0: He's also has... is also combined... he he's, he's held the title twice, and combined, he's held it for 707 days. 707 days across two reigns. That's pretty damn good.
1: Yeah, that's... That's
0: crazy. Also super interesting, you know, in other promotions, you have people, you know, holding the title for, um you know, multiple reigns in ring of honor. We've never had more than three. Nobody's held the title more than three times.
1: Yeah. Wow. That's kind of interesting. That is interesting.
0: Um, but, uh, anyway, let's, uh, let's, uh, let's get into this one. So we got a triple threat ladder match. So we get to see how ring of honor puts on a ladder match. Um, they actually waited a while before they ever—I don't think they did their first ladder match until 2007, and they started in 2002, and that was a pretty big deal when they first did that. Um, and I've seen a couple of Ring of Honor ladder matches, and I'm, I'm pretty impressed with what they can do. Um, yeah,
1: no, I, I think as far as ladder matches go, this one's pretty good.
0: Um, we hear from each of the three competitors about how much this match means to them, how hard they've worked to get here. Matt Taven says he thought there was a company conspiracy to keep him down, but now he says he thinks they picked him because he's the perfect star for this match. Um, The NWA world champion Nick Aldis joins the commentary team. Uh, He's going to face Marty Skrull later on, and they say if Skrull wins tonight, uh, they'll put both titles on the line. Keyboard Jesus comes out and plays uh, Matt Taven's entrance music. I don't know why, you know, a lot of times, you know, this was no Motorhead at
1: WrestleMania 17
0: performance here. Yeah,
1: this is just a dude with a piano for some reason
0: playing a song that doesn't have lyrics playing and like is in
1: seconds of it
0: <laughs> and is made specifically for this wrestler. It's it's like,
1: yeah, what the hell?
0: It's it's like if some guy came out and literally broke glass for Steve Austin's entrance music. <laughs> um So uh Taven comes out wearing a crown, the announcers talk about how he calls himself the real ROH champion. He apparently he's the only person to win titles in Ring of Honor, NJPW and CMLL. He's also won every title in ROH except for the World Title. Um He climbs a ladder on the outside, and he gets in the face of a camera, and he screams, I'm Matt Taven, which is like his thing that he says, which is such a weird thing to be like, you just say your name.
1: Yeah, that is pretty weak. That's He just says a greeting. Like, imagine if he just came out and said, hello! I'm Matt Taven! Yeah, I hope you are. That's who's supposed to be in this match.
0: Um... I read this and I said, David is the first person I've heard in, on the show is actually getting booed like a heel. Although I did say, I assume it's partially because he's from Boston and sports.
1: Oh, uh, yes. Sport ball. Uh...
0: uh. The bell rings, and uh, Jay Lethal and Matt Taven are immediately going after They're the guys who kind of have the big feud here. Marty Skrull's kind of like the third man. He's kind of like the, the the Chris Benoit in this triple threat match. Except for... Insert Chris Benoit joke here. <laughs> um, So Marty Skrull's like, okay, well, you guys fight. I'm going to go grab this ladder. Uh, but Lethal says, nah. uh and he baseball slides that ladder right back into his face.
1: Which is fucking great. Like, right out of the gate, we're getting some good action with the ladder.
0: And I will say this match, they do some good use of the ladder, but they also do some good use of not using the ladder. You know? It actually has some fun spots in it that don't involve a ladder at all.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, it's a good balance.
0: Um, Jay Lethal and Marty Skrull are fighting over the ladder on the outside, so Matt Taven dives... Straight over the top rope and crashes onto both of them in the ladder, and it looks like he hurt himself a little bit in the process. Uh, Ian Riccoboni mentions that the last time a non-WWE title was defended at this arena was back in 1986. Huh. Pretty, pretty impressive there. Um, Jay Lethal gets a chair out from under the ring, sets it up on the entrance ramp. Uh, and he he basically straddles this ladder in between two chairs. How would
1: you describe this contraption? Oh, man. It's, t- it's like a hurdle, you know, like in, like, a cross-country event, but made out of a ladder and two chairs. It's kind of like a table. Yeah, in some ways it is, like a table with a bunch of holes in it. Like, in the way you've want- always wanted a table that serves no function, in that way.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um... Uh, Lethal gets attacked by Skrull. Skrull hits a Tornado DDT on Taven on the floor. Uh, back inside the ring, Marty Skrull props up two ladders in opposite corners of the ring. He then charges at Jay Lethal in the corner, but Jay Lethal backdrops him onto the ladder. Jay Lethal is attacking both guys with the ladder, and then he straddles it in between the ropes in the corner, so he kind of has the ladder kind of wedged into the into the ring ropes. Yeah,
1: laying, like, horizontally.
0: Yeah, whenever you have to start describing how the ladders are placed, and wh- it's very hard.
1: Yeah, so but just, just, it's very important for what's about to happen.
0: <laughs> yeah, because Lethal tries to drop to hold scroll into the ladder, but Le- scroll stops it, and so he slams Lethal face-first into the ladder, and this is where it's really weird. So he puts Jay's head in the rungs of the ladder, and then turns him upside down <laughs> in the corner... And then he gets a chair, and he just starts hitting the ladder, which I guess hurts his head?
1: Yeah, I, I, I was gonna say, like, that ladder probably absorbs all of the hit from that table, but damn if it isn't, like, a fun spot to have a man upside-down head in a ladder.
0: hmm uh, We finally get a ladder set up to climb... Um, and Skrull does something pretty cool, where he grabs his umbrella so he can try to reach the bell. (laughs) Um, but he gets pulled down, and he hits, uh, Ring of Honor, and Taven hits Ring of Honor's favorite move, the super kick. Um, Taven climbs the ladder now, but Lethal pulls him down, slams him into the ladder. Um, so, Marty Skrull puts the ladder on Jay Lethal's head, but Taven pulls Skrull to the outside, Skrull knees the ladder on Jay Lethal's head. Um. Eventually, Marty Skrull climbs up the ladder, but Jay Lethal cuts him off. And this is pretty cool. Pretty innovative. Jay Lethal traps Marty Skrull's legs in the rungs of the ladder and puts him in a figure four around the ladder. Yeah.
1: That is a, a pretty complicated move there.
0: Um. Matt Taven starts to climb the ladder, uh, so Jay has to break the hold. Skrull sends Lethal to the outside, and Skrull hops over the top, r- over the ropes to the apron, but his knee gives out, and Jay Lethal snaps up and hits a cutter on the apron, uh, a, a, a stunner, if you will. In the ring, Jay Lethal charges at Taven, but Taven backdrops him to the apron, and then Taven slides through his legs. Grabs him, and it's a running power bomb on top of uh, the little the little ladder device.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's pretty sick. Which is, I mean, it's hard to make proper use of a ladder device like that one with the chairs and the ladder. But it uh, he did it.
0: He kind of got Mick Foley on this one because Lethal's the one who set it up and it was the one who got who got power bomb
1: hoisted on, on his own petard. Come again. Hoisted on his own petard. You never heard that, that phrase?
0: I don't think I don't think you're supposed to say that word anymore.
1: Oh my god. What is a petard? <laughs> I don't know, you're the one who said it, not me. It's a common phrase. I just I don't know what it is though. I've never heard that phrase before. You've never they use it in this show. The commentary team oh. says it at one point. They say lots
0: of things I don't understand. <laughs> Uh, I do think it's really funny. Someone in the crowd goes, Taven, why? <laughs> uh. Because it Skrull is my nature. 619 on Taven, uh, which I think is really fun. It's like the second time someone's done a 619 on this show, and also the second time that the commentary team has just straight up called it a 619. Yeah,
1: I thought Scroll's 619 went pretty well for him.
0: Yeah. Um... But I don't know what else you're supposed to call that move. I think the true name is like called like a tiger faint kick or something. Hell
1: no. You honor Rey Mysterio.
0: Yeah. It's like one of those moves that just gets n- named after the dude. Um, the crowd is getting fired up for Marty Skrull. Taven hits a DDT on him. And the crowd boos. They start chanting Fuck you, Taven. <laughs> um, Taven starts to grab the ladder, but Skrull stomps on it. He's setting up for his... He's probably the only guy who has a move that specifically attacks a dude's fingers. Because um, he goes to do that finger snap, which we'll get to in a bit, but Taven stops it and hits a rolling neckbreaker on the ladder. Um, Taven climbs a ladder that's set up in the corner, and they're like, why is he climbing over there? Which is what they do every time someone climbs up a ladder not to climb up it to grab the belt. Yeah, like they don't know
1: what's about to happen. Like they
0: don't fucking know. Squirrel climbs up the other side of the ladder, hits a huge superplex. Jay Lethal comes back in the ring, but Squirrel hits him with his umbrella. That's villainous now. <laughs> he swings that uh, umbrella again, but Lethal ducks this time, hits a springboard off the ropes, but he gets caught in a crossface chicken wing. Which is, like, the best name of a move I can possibly think of.
1: Yeah, no, that is, uh, that is a pretty, pretty good move name there. Which,
0: for, for those of you wondering what a crossface chicken wing is, it's where he puts the arm across the person's face and also puts their other arm like it's a chicken wing. We eventually get back up to the top of the ladder. Lethal's reaching for the title, but Skrull comes up behind him and places Lethal in a crossface chicken wing on the ladder. And go for it!
1: <laughs> so any time you have a submission at the top of the ladder is always really great, Um but also I like where the commentary says that he's tr- he has the option of fighting out of the submission or falling off the ladder, and he refers to that as a Sophie's choice. He like does. that was the that was the choice she had to make in that movie was whether to fight out of a submission or fall off a ladder. Definitely not which one of her kids should live. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah, uh, <laughs> I like, I like, I like that, you know, that, that Sophie's choice has just become a, has basically just become
1: choice. What if, what if she did, though? Wouldn't that be such a different and honestly better movie?
0: Yeah. Sophie's a wrestler. <laughs> uh Skrull tosses, uh, tosses Jay Lethal to the floor, but now Taven is up on the other side. And that's when Marty Scroll grabs Matt Taven's finger and snaps it. What, you th- what do you think of that move? It gets a big pop, but I want to know what you think.
1: I mean, I, I feel the same way about it that I do, like, submission moves. Like, we know that he's not really breaking his finger. Yeah. You know? Yeah.
0: But they somehow make, like, I don't know how they make that noise.
1: Yeah, that's got to be some kind of trick of, like, a trick of the mouth, perhaps or I, I don't know,
0: um I do like what they do here with it because then he tries to reach up with his other hand, and Marty Scroll snaps that finger too um and then when he actually tries to grab the belt, his hand hurts too much, so he just drops off the drops off the ladder,
1: yeah, no, I mean it's a great storytelling device for sure
0: um so. We end up making some sort of ladder contraption. I, I don't know why I decide to have you be the one who dis- describes the Oh, no, the just, ladder I
1: enjoy it. Okay, so you take a ladder. You prop it up sort of on something to where it's laying diagonally. You put another ladder through the middle rung of that ladder, creating a X of ladder. Uh, yeah,
0: so basically we have this ladder X here. Uh, Marty Skrull does an inverted super, and the way they come up with, they don't just like say, "I'm gonna make an X out of ladders." It kind of like, I like the way that it forms itself accidentally. Right,
1: it sort of falls into place.
0: Yeah, um, which is pretty cool because it, th- to make something look like an accident and then end up coming into play is pretty cool. Yeah,
1: yeah, I, th- I think so. Uh
0: Skrull drops, uh, drops Taven onto that X, uh. Lethal hits the lethal injection which is just a springboard into a cutter on Squirrel. And he grabs that X of ladders and throws it over the ropes and it just about hits the guy in the face in the front row.
1: Yeah, no, I love this moment where the crowd starts chanting, that's a lawsuit! And the commentary team <laughs> yeah. seems kind of salty about it. They're like, apparently got a crowd full of lawyers over here. I know! And, and uh, as so a, uh, someone who was newly minted, uh, got their JD Saturday. Um, Woo! Yeah, I gotta say, that's a lawsuit. (laughs) That's a lawsuit.
0: (laughs) I mean, hey, if I was at a wrestling show and I got hit in the face with a ladder, I'd consider it a badge of honor.
1: Yeah, for me it would depend on how badly my face was hurt. Yeah. It's fine. They know what they're doing.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, so, Lethal starts going for a table. We've be- This is basically a TLC, because we all- we've used all of the different... Yeah, it's methods. all the elements. It's a TLCU. Tables, ladders, chairs, umbrella. <laughs> um, not university. Um, but
1: man, wouldn't that be the best university to go to?
0: It is louder than Chairs University. <laughs> uh, Jay Lethal gets a tail out from under the ring, but Skrull hits a brain buster on the floor, which a brain buster is exactly what it sounds like. It's like a suplex, but instead of slamming you on your back, they slam you on your head. And this was all on the floor, on the concrete floor. Yeah,
1: that's, that's a tough one. Well, not the direct
0: concrete, but close enough. Uh, so, once again, uh, Jay Lethal tries to get a weapon, and then he gets up screwed out of it, because Skrull sets up that table on the outside, puts Jay Lethal on the apron, he tries to lift him up for a pile driver, but Lethal fights out of it. Um, eventually, Taven comes in and spears Marty Skrull off the apron and through the table. Um, Jay Lethal's like, no, I wanted to use that table, so he goes and gets another one, puts Matt Taven on it. Sets up a really fucking tall ladder, climbs up it, and then drives Matt Taven through the table with an elbow drop off the ladder.
1: Fucking dope.
0: This is some Hardy Boy shit right here. It is. It
1: absolutely is.
0: Uh, Skrull's back in the ring, sets up a ladder, starts climbing it, Lethal climbs up the other side, they're fighting on top of the ladder. Matt Taven pulls out a gigantic purple ladder. Yes. Uh and he starts climbing up that one. Hey,
1: let me uh let me throw back something real quick here. Okay. This is for you uh and any oh, of our listeners that may have used the Yahoo instant messaging platform in 2009 and that is a uh, star to wear in purple for me. Now.
0: Oh my god. I can't even I don't even so many memories. So many memories. It's so strange. <laughs> Start climbing purple for me no. now. <laughs> All right. The less time we spend on this, the better. So, <laughs> um, lethal pulls Taven off that purple ladder. Uh, Skrull hits them both with the other ladder. And then he slides that ladder in between the rungs of the purple ladder and the rope. So we've basically got like a platform that is between the ladder and the ropes. Um, and then he gets on that platform. Lethal does the same thing on the other side. So basically we have one vertical ladder with two horizontal ladders
1: coming out It's of it. sort of an Eiffel Tower of ladders.
0: I mean, if the Eiffel Tower had it was like...
1: It a T instead of a... Upside down why?
0: <laughs> I feel like you're complicating things more than necessary.
1: Maybe so. Maybe it's not like an Eiffel Tower of ladders at all.
0: Taven hits Lethal in the back with a chair. Skrull, uh, he trips Skrull up, and and so he gets slammed on that horizontal ladder. Matt, Taven, and Jay Lethal are now both fighting on top of the ladder. Uh, Taven hits Lethal in the face with a title belt, and Lethal falls backwards off the ladder and onto that horizontal ladder platform. It was like something out of like a movie, like it, like a villain. It was like it was like Scar throwing Mufasa <laughs> off of the mountain.
1: Long live the wrestled king.
0: And he does call himself the he king. He does. Taven grabs the belt to win. Uh, I thought he. I honestly thought it was a weird choice to have Matt Taven win. Uh, considering he's, like, the one hated guy here, but, you know, uh, I thought it was a pretty good match. Yeah, no, I liked uh, it.
1: I li- I thought there was some very creative ladder usage, and so, you know, it's a ladder match, so I've gotta do this. And I- honestly, though, this is the least accurate one I've ever given because, damn, did I lose track. I think we were at something around the ballpark of seven ladders, four chairs, two tables, three tables if you count the... Ladder construct is also being a table.
0: Damn, that's a lot of fucking furniture. Yeah,
1: I think that's the most ladders we've ever seen in a match on this show.
0: For sure. Now, would you say that that figure is is like a more conservative or more liberal? That estimate?
1: is a more conservative estimate.
0: So it could. So it, could, it was at least seven, maybe. Because
1: more. basically, seven comes from there was a point I could see six ladders on screen. And then the seventh being the purple ladder, assuming that they are reusing some of these ladders and that a new ladder is not brought out for every single spot. So we could be somewhere in the ballpark of nine, ten ladders, perhaps.
0: Wow. That's incredible. Uh, the other members of the kingdom come out and celebrate with Taven. Uh, I I ranked it lower than some of the other ones on this list, uh for reasons that i can't really go into and really articulate that well just that you know i've seen some better ladder matches i've seen some better ladder matches from ring of honor it was good There was really nothing quite wrong with it but i gave it a three and a half
1: Ah, that's fair you just hate ladders they hate you back i
0: don't hate ladders it's just i don't typically rank gimmick matches that high just because I feel like they rely a lot what on you the do? You walked under
1: a ladder, didn't you? And you're story. blaming it for your seven years of bad luck.
0: Yes. I can't wait for those seven years to be up. I'm going to wake up and be like, ah, things are coming up, P-Dog now. Maybe one
1: day you can forgive the ladders for what they've done to you.
0: Probably not. Those <laughs> assholes... Okay, at ringside, the announcers start hyping up the IWGP World Title Match. A slideshow plays of all the IWGP champions throughout history. Uh, The crowd pops pretty big for Brock Lesnar, AJ Styles, and Kenny Omega. Um, All former IWGP champions. I do want to kind of clarify. We keep calling it the IWGP Championship, but it is the World Title for New Japan Pro Wrestling. It's kind of confusing because they're two different acronyms. IWGP stands for like the International Wrestling Grand Prix, I think, is what it stands uh. for. It's basically like the governing body for New Japan Pro Wrestling, kind of like the NWA. I don't know why they don't have, why it's not called the same thing. It's kind of more of a historic title that goes back to even before New Japan Pro Wrestling was around. There's also like technically two other IWGP Heavyweight. There's technically three titles all called the IWGP World Heavyweight Championship. What the hell? Um, the first one only had two reigns, the very first of which was Hulk Hogan. Um, and then this one is the main one, but it got, there was like a split off because Brock Lesnar won the title, but wouldn't defend it and refused to give the title up. Ah. So they made a new one to just be like, okay, fine, Brock, here's your title.
1: (laughs) What the hell, man? Oh.
0: Kind of like today, how Brock Les- Lesnar wins the title and doesn't ever fucking defend it. So. <laughs> um, the pre-match promo uh, shows us how Jay White rose through the ranks. I like that he's named Jay White because he's a white guy in Japan.
1: Yeah, no. I, I Very suiting.
0: He's coming across as very cocky. He's basically like the New Japan version of Edge. Yeah, yeah. Meanwhile, Kazuchika... Okada, I don't know if I'm saying his first name right. He's a super baby face who loves New Japan Pro Wrestling. He won the 2019 New Japan Cup to get here. Um, so here we go. Our main event of the evening: the IWGP World Heavyweight Championship. Kazuchika Okada versus Jay White, who's coming out with Gato. Gato is um, used to be with Okada. But he turned his back on him to work with Jay White. Um, The crowd is super hyped for this match, chanting Okada's name. Um, White is coming in and out of the ring before finally locking up with Okada. The crowd starts chanting, fuck you, Gato. Um, Gato gets involved like towards the top um, when he breaks up a uh, Tornado DDT or a DDT uh, with White propped up on the guardrail. So White's able to ram Okada back first into the turnbuckle post. Uh, We go back into the ring, and uh, White puts Okada in the Muta lock. Muta is a uh, very legendary Japanese wrestler. But the Muta lock is like a leg trap bridging chin lock thing. It looks really fucking painful. But I know you hate submission moves, so we'll get past it.
1: Uh, It's just... Okay. Okay. I don't know, I don't know. It's something about, just something about, like, submission moves just don't sell to me? I'm going to cancel just... this podcast. We're done.
0: Okay. You don't like
1: anything that I like. Okay, we're done now. See you never, asshole.
0: Uh, Okada is able to get to the ropes, but White hangs on till the five count. Both men are down when Okada does a Shawn Michaels-style kip-up, comes back with a full head of steam, taking down White with a back elbow, hits a nice DDT for a two count. Um, White hits Okada with a boot as he's charging him in the corner. He gets a couple more, but Okada he hits a couple more, but Okada no sells them. Okada drop kicks White in the corner, and White goes over the top rope. And Okada gets another kick at the guardrail, and here's when Gato comes back. But Okada kicks Gato, tosses him into the crowd. Okada then charges and leaps over the guardrail on top of White and Okada in the first row. In the ring, White gets a running uppercut in the corner, follows it up with a twisting brain buster. Okada gets a running dropkick out of nowhere, and then he goes to the top rope and hits this really impressive dropkick off the top rope, where he almost floats in midair. And the announcers talk about it, but it just looks really cool. I don't know how he did that.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm not saying that there aren't cool moves in this match. That's not. Don't get me wrong. You're going to
0: hate me when I get to the rating.
1: Oh, I already (laughs) saw. (laughs) Uh,
0: Another two-count here. Uh, Okada goes to the top again, hits a diving elbow drop. The crowd is super pumped as Okada poses. Um, We get to this point where they're pretty much just both trying for their finishers. Um, Okada has the Rainmaker clothesline, which is basically where he grabs the guy's arm and spins, spins him around, clotheslines him um he tries for it but white just drops to the floor okada responds with a bunch of stiff kicks right to his face white is a german suplex that drops okada straight on his head um eventually white hits the uh the kiwi crusher which i wrote it in here but i forgot what the move was so just pretend it's a super cool move because i think it was Uh, We get a long two-count. Okada looks just absolutely out of it. The selling here is really good.
1: I I mean, I have to agree with you there. Like, uh, I really do like the... And these long matches almost always have that angle of like, oh man, look how exhausted they are. And this is one of the only times I think I've believed it.
0: Yeah, they're really selling like that. they're super, super exhausted. There's actually one point where they're both down, and they get to their knees, and they're just kind of slugging each other back and forth. Uh, Okada has a pretty nasty welt on his side. Um, Gato tries to get involved once again, but Okada attacks him. Okada attempts that Rainmaker clothesline, but White nails him. He puts him in a in a sleeper hold and then suplexes him out of it. Uh, White tries for the Blade Runner, which I'm going to have to remember what that is. That is his finishing move. He's going to do it a bunch of times.
1: Yeah, no, they... they, I. That's one thing, is that I always hear moves get called, but I can't, like, physically with my eyeballs tell what is going on. But I do have right. to say, you know, when they were doing that sort of slugging back and forth, I really liked that commentary about, like, in Jay White's mind, he's hitting him real hard, and, like, it looks like just a limp little, like, flaccid arm hit into him. Like, that That really was selling quite well. Uh, So
0: I, I remember what the Blade Runner is. <laughs> so White uh, tries with the Blade Runner, which is basically like a kind of like a... I don't even know. Like, a side face buster slam, but he, he does a twist. They get slammed on their head. Uh, yeah. But Okada reverses that into a tombstone but white reverses that into a sleeper suplex but okada reverses that into a raymaker but white reverses that and so i think that's pretty cool when we get that chain of reversals
1: yeah reversals are always dope i've said that before and i have to stand by it the more that we're talking about the match the more i'm coming to actually like it
0: you're just saying that to make me feel better
1: no, I'm I I'm reg- I am don't want to say it. I want to say that I was right originally, and that it's not great. But the more you talk about it, the more I'm like, okay, I guess that was kind of fucking dope, huh?
0: White goes for the Blade Runner again. Okada reverses into a rainmaker. He follows that up with another one for good measure. Pins him for a long two count. The crowd and Okada are in absolute disbelief. I think it's really cool that you could put over a fucking clothesline like that. Yeah. <laughs> like, to have yeah. the crowd fucking be like, on their fucking feet, like, what? <laughs> <laughs> um, Okada attempts a tombstone, but White reverses into a Blade Runner, but he doesn't have enough energy to cover him. Announcers say that no one has ever kicked out of a Blade Runner, but this is the first time that a Blade Runner has never resulted in the win. Gato tries to come into the ring again. The ref stops him. White nails a low blow while the ref is distracted. Cole says, God damn it. Or Colt says, God damn it. More fuck you, Gato chance. Both guys get up. Okada hits a German suplex. He attempts a Rainmaker, but White reverses it into a backslide. Okada rolls through, almost gets caught with a Blade Runner, but gets a backside of his own. White rolls through that, ducks a clothesline, but he gets hit with a drop kick. <laughs> <laughs> so now White grabs Okada's wrist, starts kicking him, but Okada nails a clothesline, follows up with another lariat clothesline. Okada finally goes for another Rainmaker, but White reverses that into a Blade Runner, but Okada reverses that into a spinning tombstone. Then he hits the Rainmaker for the three count. I thought it was impressive. I thought it was a crazy good match. It does have a little bit of a slow start, but it to me, it kept my interest because I could tell these are two guys who are really studying each other, they're really trying to get the win, they're really trying to put it all, they're trying to give it their all. So I gave it a perfect five out of five stars.
1: I think that I just need to get better at spotting moves and being able to tell what the hell's going on. Because, like, at times, for me, it's like, boy grabs boy, boy grabs other boy, boys grab each other, boys are grabbing.
0: Okay, There were no boys in this match. That was the Dalton Castle match.
1: (laughs) Excellent point. Um, And that leaves me sort of as the color commentator uh, without (laughs) that much to say.
0: Without that much color.
1: Yeah, yeah. um, No, you do your
0: job really well because you make me explain to you why matches are good. If we both sat here and agreed why the match was good then this wouldn't be very fun to listen to. So here you go listeners, you get to listen to why this podcast is good and why you should keep listening to it.
1: <laughs> but yeah, no. Um you you did sell me on it in this in this description actually. You you raised my opinion of it. I should
0: describe wrestling matches to you. huh? you know, I should just describe wrestling matches to you and you should just listen to it and we should make People listen to that.
1: We just it's like radio. Oh, wait. We don't. It doesn't happen concurrently with the event. And. Um, yeah.
0: So you're describing a podcast.
1: Well, well, what I'm saying is like sports radio where you're describing oh, what's going yeah. on in the sport.
0: We just pretend like it's alive.
1: Yeah. No, I actually talked to one guy that listens to the show. That's what he really likes about the show is that you do the play by play. He's like, it's like I'm I'm listening to it on the radio uh, and the commentary is just there for fun. And so, oh. thanks for listening, man. Uh, we appreciate you.
0: Well, so, as a whole, what would you think of this show?
1: Uh, I really liked Ring of Honor. I think that Ring of Honor is doing everything right where TNA did everything wrong.
0: Yeah, like, that's, th- that's true.
1: They saw all of TNA's fuck-ups and said, let's not. And even though, yeah. I mean, TNA's still around and they're sort of on a comeback now. Uh, I just think that Ring of Honor does a lot of things that are really smart, make a lot of sense, and they make some really good wrestling that I enjoyed watching.
0: Well, they never tried to be somebody else. They just tried to be themselves. You know, They didn't try to be the next WWE. They tried to be the first ROH.
1: Right, right. Um, and But I think that the biggest thing that these smaller promotions need to get on to really put them over and get them more popular is that we need better um just better delivery service you know better ability to access the content because ring of honor's website's a fucking mess um that's also true of the um what is it global wrestling network uh mm-hmm. that we watch tna on that website is a mess fix your streaming shit so that you are more accessible to people and you'll get more views
0: Uh, I also like the inclusion of New Japan in here. That was something new for me as well that I hadn't really seen too much of other than like seeing Japanese wrestlers coming over to American promotions. So That was super cool. Makes me want to kind of check out more of New Japan's stuff. Yeah,
1: I really love that. I really love the emphasis on working with other promotions rather than the W... Because at the end of the day, the WWE's closed-off universe becomes kind of boring.
0: Yeah, I agree. It's more interesting hey.
1: to have other wrestlers from other promotions and these big crossovers. I love that shit.
0: mm Hmm. Yeah, I like that they you know they they recognize other other talents because they don't just do it with NJPW. They do it with CMLL. They do it with NWA. They do it with whatever that British promotion was. So yeah, no, they really got some.
1: Yeah, no, I I think they're. They're on the right track, and I would love to see more of their stuff in the future.
0: That's about going to do it for this edition of Turnbuckle Training. I want to encourage you to watch along with us next week. We're going to go back to our WWE stuff, so Zach will be happy, because we're going to get into a really fun one that I'm super excited for. We're going to be talking about The Undertaker versus Kane, one of the most famous, crazy, weird... Spooky storylines in wrestling history. Fuck
1: yeah, man. I'm so excited.
0: The Brothers of Destruction. The Siblings of Satan. The Hermanos from Hell.
1: (laughs) You really pulled that one out. I didn't think you were going to be able to. But, no, nice. You stuck the landing. Thank you. Uh...
0: We'll be posting, uh, you know, our list of matchups on our Twitter page. That's at Turnbuckle Training. You can follow us there to, you know, keep up what we're looking at, what we're going to be watching, uh, and give us some suggestions for what you think we should watch. And don't forget to subscribe to us uh, on whatever service you use to listen to your podcast, and leave us a review if you don't mind.
1: And we'll be watching on the WWE Network. But since Vince McMahon isn't signing our checks, as one, there are no checks to sign, and two, he would probably hate us. You can feel free to find that wherever you would like, and trust us—we won't snitch.
0: Yeah, I mean, if I ever wanted to work for the WWE, which I don't, but I've kind of—I've kind of ruined that deal. <laughs> uh, thanks for listening. It's me, Austin.
1: Numbers don't lie. And they spelled disaster for you and sacrifice. Son of a I did it for the love.
0: Ready for
1: the bonkersest event of the summer. A Three Big Dudes production. Starring me, professional toe sucker. And nope, the sex- we won't talk about that, but we will talk about Waluigi, Dog with a Blog, the similarities between Alf and Cousin Skeeter, and of course, the Slithler. It's Feud Fight, where we take the wild questions most people
0: won't touch and give our scalding hot takes. And I also say terrible things that could loosely be considered word crimes, just to keep things a little spicy. Every Monday, wherever you find your podcasts.